And uh, if uh, Stephen, if we could have the map up at the stage, please. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5. It's page 1172 in um, our church and the church Bible. Remember that little phrase that we have used? Um, that a parent says to their child, remember um, your surroundings. Remember where you are. Uh, be aware of your surroundings when they're going to someplace new. Well, last Lord's Day, we were in the Gospel of Luke. This morning, we're in Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we're somewhere new. And um, where and what was Galatia? Well, if you imagine Northern Ireland, we're made up of six counties. And this bigger region um, is called Asia Minor, a bit like Northern Ireland. Uh, only for much, much bigger, modern-day Turkey, and then Galatia is like one of the counties. Uh, and so that's where Paul went on his first missionary journey that we read of from Acts 13 through to Acts, end of Acts 14. And now a couple of years later, AD 49, he's writing to this church or these churches of Galatia. And uh, he's writing to them, to defend the gospel against false teachers who have come after him and said, Paul's not preaching the right gospel. The right way to God is just by doing good works and following the rules. And they're troubling the church, these false teachers. And so Paul reminds them of the gospel they have believed. Um, Galatians chapter 2, a person is not justified by works, not made right with God by works, of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is my gospel, says Paul. So we are reading now from the final section of the letter, from chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, he's told them all he wants to tell them about keeping a steady course over against the false teachers. And now he wants to talk to them as he writes his final section about working out their faith together in the church. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, page 1172 in the Bible uh, that's provided uh, for use in church. But you, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature or the flesh it may be in your translation. Rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, 
jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We should not lose heart in doing good. For at his time or in his time, we will reap a harvest provided we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. Our sermon uh, today is the fourth uh, in a short series on the theme, Do Not Lose Heart. And we have thought about the fact that it's very easy to lose heart in the Christian life because of the challenges that arise from within ourselves, the challenges that arise from living for Christ in the world, and the challenge of resisting the devil who is always on our case. And uh, today we uh, come to look at another area in which we could lose heart, but we should not lose heart. And we've seen already that the reasons why we do not need to lose heart are because Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. And so last time we saw, we do not lose heart or do not lose heart in prayer. And this morning, 
Our theme is do not lose heart in doing good. And I'm sure that you as men and women, um, you were able to identify with Jenny and Heidi Marie when I was talking to them and uh, trying to show them that it's easier to do wrong than right. It's easier to do bad than good. It's easier to do evil than to follow righteousness. And we'll see how the Apostle Paul recognizes that in this passage. Our text then this morning is Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Page 1172. And uh, you may have noticed that uh, I changed a few words uh, in the reading because I think there are uh, one or two places where we're not exactly as clear as we should be. And so the verse, as we're going to look at it today, is these um, could be translated in this way. We should not lose heart in doing good, for in his time we shall reap, uh, if or provided that, or on the condition that, we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, we work good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do not lose heart in doing good. I've no doubt that all of us who, as we were singing there, love God's salvation in Christ, who know that he is the only one who could deliver us from our sin and has delivered us from our sin, we want to become more and more like him. And that's what it means to do good. It is simply to become more and more like Jesus. Because he was good. And he always did good. And he only did good. So he is not only our saviour. He is also uh, our um, helper to do good. And he is our example of doing good. Now we, uh, there are of course differences, and the first point is a difference between us and Jesus. Doing good in your own life. In chapter 5, um, this final section that begins at verse 13, uh, Paul talks to these Christians at Galatia, now not about the false teachers and the problems that they are causing, but rather he talks to them about the problems that they themselves are causing. The problems that they themselves have in their own hearts. The evil, the sin that still remains with them and comes from them all too quickly, all too easily, all too frequently in their relationships with one another. And Paul sums this experience up 
in terms of a battle. He says there is an ongoing battle that takes place in the Christian between two forces, if you want to put it like that. Between good and evil. Between the sinful nature. That's what we were in Adam. Yes, we've been forgiven all our sin. But that old sinful nature has not been taken out of us. Rather, a new nature, uh, signified by the Holy Spirit, has been put into us. And so now we live with this constant conflict between the old nature, the sinful nature, as some of the translations call it the flesh, and the spirit. And that sinful nature wants us to keep us acting like Adam. The new nature from the Holy Spirit wants us to act like Christ. So, we could put it like this. There is a civil war that rages inside every true Christian. We hear in our televisions about Syria is a war zone. There's at least two groups of people and they're backed by superpowers and they are against one another. And in you, your life is a war zone. And there are two powers. The devil, uh, signified by that old nature, is at work. And the Holy Spirit is at work. Now there's no doubt about the outcome, ultimately, but there should also be no doubt about the battle in between times. Paul then in verses 19 to 21, he actually makes a list of 15 things that come from our old natures. Now he could have added another 15 and another 15 and another 15. Because he says, and such like. So it's not a it's not a full list. He said, here's some examples. Here's the kind of things that are in human beings because of Adam's sin, and they still can express themselves in the Christian. And these sins they refer them they sorry, they show themselves. Verse 19, if you look at the first couple, they show themselves in the realm of sexuality, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, sexual sin. The Christian is not automatically safe or safeguarded from sexual sin. Christians can end up having a sexual relationship outside of marriage. They can have it with someone to whom they're not married instead of the partner or their wife or husband, the spouse, to whom they're married. And this word's a very broad word and it covers all aspects of wrong sexual activity because God created this beautiful gift And they put it in marriage. 
So Paul says, be aware of that. Remember these Galatians? They were living in a very immoral society, as we are today. We need to be aware of that. And then um, he goes on to mention two sins that are associated with religion in verse uh, 19. Look at what he says. Sorry, verse 20. Idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry. Worshipping God in the wrong way. Witchcraft is dabbling in the things that have to do with Satan. Because Satan does have a power. Not the same power as God. He's not equal to God. But he does have a power. Because he is a fallen angel. And then, uh, having dealt with... um, Uh, the expression of this old sinful nature in sexual activity and in the realm of religion, he goes on to mention eight things that can happen in personal relationships. And so the next eight things mentioned, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Do we recognize any of those? I hope we're saying yes. And I hope we're saying yes. It's not that I recognize them in the person sitting beside me or behind me or in front of me. I can see those things in my own heart and in my own life. And that's the old nature. And those things can show themselves in my relationship with my wife, my children, people at work, people in the church, all kinds of ways. And then the final ones, the final two, are to do with addictions. In that day, the chief addiction was alcohol. Today, drugs would come in under this as well. And so it's in the area of misuse of of things that God um, allows us to have in the world. That's the old nature. And you and I... We can't pretend that we are finished with the old nature, that it's gone and forgotten and goodbye forever. Every morning you get up, it says, hello, I'm still here. Uh, And it tries to take you a certain way. So we're to not lose heart in doing good in our own life. That is addressing this old nature And so Paul goes on then, uh, and we'll come to this this evening a wee bit more, he talks about crucifying and means to put to death that old nature. We've got to be hard on it. We can't give it any room. It's a bit like um, if you open your door tomorrow to somebody who's a fraudster and they want to rob your house, as soon as you open the door and let them get their toe in through the door, you're in trouble. The best thing is you close the door and you keep the door closed. And that's what Paul said to us. We've got to keep closing the door on these sexual sins, these sins of religion, these sins of personal relationship and these sins of abuse. But it's not just about getting rid of those things. There's got to be something in their place. And so Paul then in the next verses 22 and 23 highlights nine graces and we're just going to touch on these and they cover three broad areas a Christian's relationship with God 
is the first three. Love, joy, and peace. A Christian's relationship with others, patience, kindness, and goodness. And then a Christian's relationship to himself, um, faithfulness, and um, self-control, and what's the one I've missed? Gentleness. Faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, and self-control. And Paul is saying, as well as getting rid of the weeds in your garden, you've got to get started growing some good fruit in the garden that is your life. In terms of your walk with God, in terms of your relationship with your fellow Christians, and in terms of how you are dealing with things in your own life. And we could preach a whole series on each of what's called the fruit of the Spirit. This is a picture of Christ. These nine qualities are a picture of what Jesus was as the man Jesus doing good before God in relation to men and also in how he conducted himself. He wasn't one thing out in public and another thing at home. He wasn't a jackal and hide character. And so Paul describes then, uh, or tells us then, that in doing good in your own life, you need to weed, get rid of these sins of the old nature. And that's a battle that keeps going on every day. And every day you need to say hello, not to them, but to these nine graces. And you are to be like a gardener. And you are to be cultivating the apple tree, as it were, so that you're going to get fruit at the end that is nutritious. And you can see it, you see the blossom first of all, and then you see the little small marble-sized fruit, and then that's not even the full thing, it's got to get bigger, and then it's got to get sweeter, and it's got to get the right colour. So there's a whole ongoing life's work for you and be here, in these graces. And it's a battle. Just like keeping your garden. You've got to weed it. And you've got to feed it. If you're going to have um, healthy, a healthy garden. And as we think about this battle. Do you ever feel like I want to give up? Are there ever days when you say you've just lost heart and you say it's too hard That's what Paul's talking about here. Do not lose heart. Do not come to that point. Uh, Don't get into that situation. Don't go down that road of saying, giving in to the old nature and just allowing it to reign and neglecting the new nature and it just withers. Um, Paul knew this was not an easy battle. He refers to it in his own personal life in Romans chapter 7. Really fascinating chapter. And he is talking there about the struggle, the good that I would do. What does he say? I do not do. The evil I would not do, that I do. There's the battle. There's the civil war. And then it's almost as if Paul is about to 
lose his mind and despair forever. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I'm living with death every day, even as a Christian. O wretched man that I am. He knew what it was. And he was in, it's almost as if he was about to lose heart. And so he's well able to say to us, this great apostle, he was no walking saint. He knew what it was to have to battle with the old nature and to cultivate the new nature uh, which was in him by the Holy Spirit. And look at our text because it holds the great encouragement for us in the intensity and the continuity of this battle. Look at what it says. You shall reap. We should not lose heart in doing good in our own lives for we shall reap. Not we may reap. Are we hope to reap? It's definite. We shall reap. And so this morning, Christ is saying to you, as you engage in this battle within yourself day by day, he says, you shall reap. Do not lose heart. A farmer or a gardener plants seed and they don't harvest without ongoing effort and they don't harvest the next day and despite what some um, books Christian books and Christian preachers will say today you will not become a Christian one day and become sinless or perfect the next day that is a lie it's not true and so um, do not lose heart To go back to Paul again in Romans chapter 7. After he cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Do you know what he went on to say? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Keeping your eyes on Christ every day. Abiding in Christ, his word and prayer, the fellowship of the church. That's the way to cultivate this fruit in our lives and not to lose heart but then we want to note secondly this morning and more briefly um, and then we'll come to our third point this evening do not lose heart in doing good to non-Christians do not lose heart in doing good to non-Christians we're looking now at verse 10 so then, as we have opportunity, it's a slightly different uh, word here, but it's the same. Um, it's the same meaning, same idea. We should work good, or we work good to everyone. And then he qualifies that by emphasizing then the household of faith. So the everyone before this is those who don't belong to the household of faith. The everyone is the non-Christian. 
So we do not lose heart or do not lose heart, Paul is saying, in doing good to non-Christians. You and I are missionaries. We're missionaries. We don't just have missionaries in Galway and Nantes. We have missionaries in Carnac Fergus. And it's you and it is I. We are the missionaries. And we do good. We pattern ourselves in terms of activity on the things that Christ and his apostles taught the church and individual Christian is to do. So we do good to non-Christians as individuals. In other words, I'm to do it as an individual man. You're to do it as an individual woman or man or young person. And it's very interesting that in um, Acts 10, one of the ways in which Peter sums up the life of Jesus is what? He went about doing good. And so the apostles went about doing good. Here's Peter and John. They're going to very spiritually tell me they're going to church to pray. A man stops them at the gates as they're about to go in the door and he's poor and he's a beggar and he says, I want some money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what you don't have, but I have and you need. I will give you the gospel and I will speak the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God will come into your life and he'll save you from your sins and he'll make you a new man and you'll be able to walk. And then later in Acts 4 verse 9, do you remember, they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And how did Peter sum up that whole incident? If we be judged this day for a good deed done. So the apostles learned from their saviour and our saviour we are to be men who do good according to the abilities according to the opportunities that God gives us and your opportunities are different from mine and your abilities are different from mine and they're different from Paul's and Peter and John and Jesus but he gives to each one of us opportunity he gives to each one of us ability and then you read on a bit further in the Gospel of Acts And you come across this man, Barnabas. And how is the life of Barnabas summed up? Acts 11, verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. A good man. And many people were added to the Lord. Why? Because he did good. Wherever God placed him, using the gifts Christ had given him, seizing the opportunities that opened up to him. And you see, due to the good deeds that Jesus did and Peter did and John did and Barnabas did, men and women, boys and girls, heard the gospel, heard that salvation, the forgiveness of sins is in Christ. They believed, not all, but there were... um, Those who believed, sometimes large numbers, and they were saved. And every day you and I should ask, and we should expect 
the Lord to give us opportunity to do a good deed that day. And to do that as an evidence to others of our faith in Christ. It could be as simple as greeting your neighbour in the morning when you see them. But a good friend of mine who is a keen walker, walks every day for health reasons, told me about going out and meeting this same lady day after day. And the lady wouldn't even acknowledge her. And she kept saying, good morning, good morning, good morning. And it eventually came to the point that the lady smiled and said back, good morning. A good deed done. And it's an evidence of our faith in Christ. Cooking a meal for someone who's lonely. Visiting a sick person. Going with a sick person to the hospital. Read Matthew 25. 29 to 31, Jesus says on that last day, there'll be people who say to him, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? That'll be the believers. And they've done all of these things. And Jesus said, he was emphasizing there, that it's not simply by saying we love Christ, it's by showing we love Christ that we prove that we are Christians by the things we do. I was very encouraged to hear, not having been at the Gold Coast Conference, that was the big church conference in July uh, down in um, Waterford, that somebody was saying that the staff commented afterwards. They had never had a group like it. Because the group smiled, the group said please, they said thank you. And it brings back to mind a conference I go to every year in England, and again, at the end of our conference, it's a three-day conference, uh, we speak uh, and thank the staff. And without fail, every year the staff comment, it's a pleasure to serve you men because you're smiling in the morning. And you say please and you say thank you and you're not grumping and complaining about this, that and the other. That's the good deed done. So are we leaving a fragrance of Christ wherever we go amongst individuals who are not Christians? So do not lose heart in doing good. Saying good morning to that person that looks the other way, putting up your hand uh, and uh, saying and bidding them time of day. Why? Because in due time, in his time, we shall reap. There will be a reaping. Not from every single case that you've done good in, but certainly in some of them. God will cause that to be so. And then we think about it, and this is the second area that I want us to just look at it briefly. As a church. Doing good to non-Christians, not only as you as an individual, but us, or we as a church. And as a church, we do a huge amount. You do a huge amount of good. 
for the benefit of non-Christians in the community. That non-Christian that you catch up with and go for coffee or go for a walk. Uh, or you see them in the car park and you they're associated somehow with a family from the church and you go and speak to them. And they're left with an impression of friendliness and openness and welcome. That's doing good as a church. We do a huge amount of good. You do in this building. Our cafe. Week after week. The craft fairs or those other events that we hold in this room. The guest services to which people come. That's doing good. With the view that people will be saved through the good that we do. The men's and women's fellowship and their outreach events. That's doing good as a congregation. When we provide practical help to individuals. That we're aware of, where we're aware of need in the name of the church. That's doing good as a church. The one-to-one Bible study that you do with someone that the church is contact with is doing good in the name of Christ and this church. The Friday night club that we ran for almost 14 years in, in Oakfield and the coffee stop that was at the end or that happened while it was for parents while it was running. That was doing good. All that time that was poured into those children. Yes, it's doing good. The gospel has been planted in their hearts and in their minds. And this past week, the outreach that you did and the team helped us with, the four and a half thousand leaflets that have gone into the homes, yes, We would love people to phone us up. Have people phoned us up to date? No, they haven't. But that does not take away from the fact that is doing good. Having hope, sharing hope has gone into four and a half thousand homes this week. And then we went down to see George and his friends in Chester House. People who can't get out to church. And the staff said to us, with two rooms. Will you do this room and then divide your time and go to the other room? And a couple of the folk followed from one room into the other because they wanted to hear the singing of the Psalms. Doing good. And only eternity will tell how God uses that and these things. Carrick Fergus Market on Thursday morning, something we hadn't done before, and thought, well, Somebody else has done it. We'll try it. Pop-up cafe. And down-served tea, coffee for a couple of hours there. And the people that came, uh, there were people who came and took coffee, tea. Um, there were people who said, no, thank you. But there they saw the name of the church. There there was some kind of interaction. People went round the stalls, invited the stall holders, would you like a cup of coffee? Took it to them. We've gotten to know some of their names. And one man, I don't like talking to taxi drivers. Um, so, sorry, Les, you were a taxi driver at one time, because I usually think they'll turn you off. And there was one man sitting just right in front. Our stand was there, and he was sitting there in the car waiting to pick up a, a, a fare. 
So I went to him and I said, would you like a coffee? He said, I don't have time. I said, if I bring it to you? Oh, yes, that'll be great. So here I came with the coffee, leaflet in my pocket, and, um, oh, ye of little faith, I said, um, now you're going to tell me when I offer you this leaflet, I don't do church. He says, actually, I do. Now and again. So I said, well, what causes you to go to church now and again? He said, I know I need to be saved. But I haven't done anything about it. Pray for John. He read the rest of the leaflet while he was drinking his cup of tea. Others had similar opportunities. I'm not, that's just the example that I'm aware of. And I just thought, uh, I mean, it's a powerful illustration of the things that was, were being done last week. Doing good as a church. And it's very easy at times to lose heart and to think, what's the point of leaflets? What's the point um, of going down at the marketplace? Well, if you want to think of the point of leaflets, you look at Rosemary. Or you look at our friends who are with us this morning because of a leaflet that they got through the door. And we could illustrate again and again and Paul is saying to us, he's saying to the church, he's saying to us, do not lose heart. Um, We, um, as we have opportunity, we work good to everyone. Everyone. And that's one of the things that has come out of this week, actually. The three days of the team. There are opportunities out there. I came back and some of the ladies that were in um, uh, lunch, we came back as a team and I told them, and two ladies immediately said, we're willing to go to the markets on Thursday. It's brilliant. That's what we need. And we need to do that more and more. Um, And I want us to get to the point in Carrickfergus that people can't turn anywhere without seeing, having hope, sharing hope. Carrick Fergus, Reformed Presbyterian Church. The people know that we're a people who have hope in Christ. And we share hope in Christ. And we will not lose, we will not lose heart. Why? Because Christ says, you shall reap. Notice how he changed the little phrase. In due time is far too bland. That phrase, five out of the seven times it's used, it's in his time. Not our time, not my time, not the RP Church's time. It is in his time that we shall reap. So let us not lose heart in doing good. For in his time we shall reap, provided that. We don't give up. Are you in danger of giving up? Because you've lost heart. If you have, you need to get back to your Saviour because you've lost sight of him. That's what you've lost sight of, him. Because he's the one who keeps us from losing heart and ensures we don't give up. Because he didn't lose heart. And he didn't give up. And if he had, you and I wouldn't be saved. So let's be like him. Amen.